Dear Father in heaven, I pray that you open this place that we know and share it with these people today. And may your light touch the darkness in our lives. Amen. I told Carol this could last 10 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes. I have no clue. Dr. Connor, here it is, right here. Okay. I still may forget it. <laughs> last Sabbath, I was in Madison East. The youth pastor there is married to a woman. Her father is John Pauline. Anybody of you know him? I don't. That's the first I'd ever heard of him, although I'd probably seen some of his books. He had a, a message. He wasn't supposed to speak, but his message, he said, um, he was going to do totally unprepared off the cuff, but it's one that he has, he has made. And um, it was the stages of faith. Now, I'm not much, for one, about stages of this, steps of that because there's a few billion people in the world, and I'm not sure a seven-step stage program works for everybody or in exactly the same sequence. But I listened, and as he went through these stages, he came to a point where I started to see him painting or describing to me a painting that I had been staring at for quite a while. What I'm about to read to you wasn't what he said then, but it was taken from this. He has this online. Um, I'm not sure his website is. Is Armageddon, some Armageddon. Somebody knows, so somebody can share it to you. Um, what I, it's the, um, comes out of that. It says, at the very height of spiritual success, something tends to happen that we least expect, usually between the ages of 30 and 50. When followers are increasing, people are feeling blessed, funds are flowing in to support the ministry, and awards are being given, comes a very unwelcome guest. It's a personal crisis many have called the dark night of the soul. Past certainties suddenly become inadequate. We call into question everything we have ever believed and everything we have ever done. We feel like failures, like we can't do anything right. We are humbled. Our world caves in. Our faith, which sustained us powerfully up until this point, doesn't seem to work anymore. All of our answers are replaced with questions. God either vanishes from you or breaks out of the comfortable box we held him in. We hit bottom. We reach the end of our rope. We hit the wall and can seem to go no further on the spiritual journey. We have saved others, but ourselves we cannot save. We feel completely alone and abandoned by God. As one person put it, just when I got it all together, I forgot where I put it. 
that was pretty descriptive of what I'd been looking at for a few months. I want to go into the Bible and I want to share today something I've wanted to share in a different way, but I think that today is the right time for this. So go to Luke chapter 22 and verses 60 and 62. I'm going to do a lot of reading today, I think. And this is familiar. It's the end of the the incident. But this is Jesus and um, with Peter out in the courtyard. And Peter had just denied Christ. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and wept bitterly. Try to imagine what Peter felt like. Have anybody experienced something like that in their lives, where they felt that they have let God down or betrayed God? But Peter was looking into the eyes of Jesus. In Great Controversy, page 712, chapter before Ananias in the court of Caiaphas, the very last sentence on that page starts, While the degrading oaths were fresh upon Peter's lips and the shrill crowning of the cock was still ringing in his ears, the Savior turned from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. At the same time, Peter's eyes were drawn to his master. In that gentle countenance, he read deep pity and sorrow. But there was no anger there. The sight of that pale, suffering face, those quivering lips, that look of compassion and forgiveness pierced his heart like an arrow. Conscience was aroused. Memory was active. Peter called to his mind his promise of a few short hours before that he would go with his Lord to prison and to death. He remembered his grief when the Savior told him in the upper chamber that he would deny his Lord thrice that same night. Peter had just declared that he knew not Jesus, but he now realized with bitter grief how well his Lord knew him and how accurately he had read his heart, the falseness of which was unknown even to himself. A tide of memories rushed over him, the Savior's tender mercy, his kindness and long-suffering, his gentleness and patience toward his erring disciples. All was remembered. He recalled the caution, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy... Faith failed thee not. That is in Luke 22, 31 and 32. He reflected with horror upon his own ingratitude, his falsehood, his perjury. Once more he looked at his master and saw a sacrilegious hand raised to smite him in the face. Unable longer to endure the scene, he rushed heartbroken from the hall.
for the rest of the evening, the rest of the next day, the rest of the next evening, Peter lived with that. And to him, he'd never have a chance to say he was sorry. Turn to Mark. Chapter 16, verses 1 through 7. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they could come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll the stone away from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were afraid. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Great controversy again, page 793. The chapter, Why Weepest Thou? Sister White comments, Tell his disciples and Peter, the angel said. Since the death of Christ, Peter had been bowed down with remorse. His shameful denial of of the Lord and the Savior's look of love and anguish were ever before him. Of all the disciples, he had suffered most bitterly. To him, the assurance was given that his repentance is accepted and his sin forgiven. He is mentioned by name. In October, I wrote an email to the president of Adventist World Aviation and to the board and I think to everybody, all the project managers as well, indicating that I had chosen to resign. When I did that, I felt it was necessary, but the time since has been extremely difficult for me. When I heard the description of that stage of faith last Sabbath, it was like someone had crawled into my life and was looking out at it from the inside. If somebody else could understand what I was going through that well. 
I knew God could and did. There's always that question, the accusation, did I do the right thing? Did I fail God because I wasn't strong enough to stick it out? Dark questions that were leading into a darkness. But I look back to that message that the angel gave from God to Peter that one day. That he knew. That he knew how dark it was for Peter that night. And God wanted to shed light into that dark night. That's how much a single person means to God. And that single person is you. And me. And every other person who's ever lived on this planet. And ever will. Last week... I started, or at least continued, reading a book by Don Richardson. Does anybody know? Peace Child. It's about a man who, a few months before I was born, had moved to New Guinea. They called it Netherlands New Guinea back back then. And they sent him to the interior to... um, minister to a tribe, a Sawi tribe. The first part of this book describes who they are and what they did. They're headhunters, cannibals. They're epitome, their highest acclaim in their life is treachery. Those who practice treachery with art are held as, you know, as they're the, the superstars of their culture. And he had been in the interior at a location of a village that had been abandoned. He had chosen it as the place they were going to live. And several workers from three different villages had come in to help build. Now, there's animosity and um, long histories of treachery between villages, between um, clans, between families. And he describes the, the difficulty he had keeping the peace while they're sitting there helping him to build his house. After he had finished the construction, he left and brought his family. He had his wife and seven-month-old son. They landed on the beach in a dugout canoe, three other natives, in the canoe with them. They got out and they saw 200 warriors from these three villages, all painted with their spears. And as they got out and started to move, 
the people started to jump up and down and started to yell and started to chant and started to wave their spears. And they didn't get too far until they finally pressed in among them, pressed in on them to the point where they couldn't move anymore. And this continuous shouting and yelling and jumping. I'm going to pick it up in his book from there. It says, Suddenly in the blue glow of twilight, a presence stronger than the presence of the multitude enveloped us. That same presence that had first drawn us to Christ and then wooed us across continents and oceans to this very jungle clearing. Before that presence, every superficial thought and feeling fled away and I felt a deep probe go through my motives. Missionary, he was asking, why are you here? The last two and a half months, this is a question that I didn't quite understand, couldn't quite hear, but it was there. He goes on, it was a question I had often fielded from the lips of unbelievers. Now my Lord was asking it, and there was no escape from the question. The eyes of every Sawi dancer seemed to ask it, their voices seemed to chant it, their drums to echo it. I reviewed answers I had used in the past, discarding them one by one. Secondary, incidental reasons no longer mattered, nor could ulterior ambitions endure the four-dimensional reality our task had now assumed. Coming here today, I knew that I could not speak as I have the last three and a half years. I could not make the same presentations. They simply were not sufficient anymore. He says, the descent to New Bedrock took a few minutes, and then I breathed my answer. Lord Jesus, it is for you we stand here, immersed not in water but in Sawi humanity. This is our baptism into the work you anticipated for us before creation. Keep us faithful. Empower us with your spirit. May your will be done among these people as in heaven, and if any good comes to them through us, the honor is yours. The last two and a half months, the dark night in my soul, I understood when I read this, I think, that God needed to bring me down to new bedrock. In 2006, when I came back to the church, when I finally woke up, my thinking at that point was, I've tried everything else and I haven't found happiness. If I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it with God or it doesn't exist. I have proceeded with that for the last five years now but I don't believe that that is sufficient any longer for me and I believe this is the time 
that God has brought it to me that something needs to change. That I have to make a decision the same Peter, same way Peter had to make a decision those nights. Not knowing whether Jesus, well, he didn't know Jesus was coming. He should have known. But he had been confronted with who he was and the unsustainability of it. He was not sufficient for himself. Only God was. Peter had to choose whether he was going to put all of his weight on the bedrock of Christ or keep it on himself. Two people had to make decisions that night. Judas and and Peter, they made different decisions and they had different results. The night is still dark for me. I don't have a lot of answers. But I do know one thing. That it's time for me to put my feet on the bedrock of Christ. It can no longer be if I'm going to find happiness. Now's the time to take and accept that happiness and live it. So I have a ways to go, but just like Peter, God has through a book by someone who's not even an Adventist and a pastor I've never even known before, shown a little bit of light into the darkness. No matter where we are, no matter how dark the night gets, there is always bedrock for us to put our feet on. So how does Job have anything to do with all of this? Well, I had to think about that. I had to come up with a Bible verse. This whole Bible is full of mission stuff. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Wow. Here's the one who created the bedrock. Not only for this planet, but for us. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? No matter where we go, no matter what we do, whether it is building one-day churches in Mexico, putting an airplane together in Africa, or whatever mission that happens here in Nina. God plans the project. God initiates the project. God executes the project. God is responsible for the success of the project. 
All he asks of us is to let him do it through us. The honor is his. The blessing is ours. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that even in our darkest times, you're always there with us. Whether or not we can see the light, it doesn't mean it isn't there. You entombed Jesus on the cross in darkness, but it doesn't mean you weren't there, Father. If there's someone here today, Father, who is experiencing that darkness, please let them know that they are not alone, that you are there, and that you are absolutely certain and sure foundation. And that with our feet on your bedrock of Jesus, we cannot be moved. In Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you and give you the honor. Amen.